0: It's great to see you this morning. It was in the summer last year that a story broke around the world that captivated the world. We watched on our television screens, we maybe followed it on the internet, and it started on the 23rd of June last year. And the story was unfolding as this group of lads had completed a training session for their football team and following the football set training session they entered into a set of caves and led by their coach and they, in those set of caves they discovered very quickly as it started raining outside and water filled up the caves that they couldn't get out. And you and I will have followed this story last year, no doubt. As we watched, wondering how they got there, why they were there, what was going on, could we get them out? And the story unfolded as we watched, gripped. What actually happened was that the, some of the parents had noticed that the boys were missing, obviously. They hadn't come back from the training session. Somebody had gone. One of the other boys, who should have been there but wasn't that day, went to this site because he knew what they were likely to have done. and They found the bikes chained up outside the entrance to the caves and that was when the police were alerted um, some of the police happened to know a british diver who lives in thailand who was very familiar with this cave complex brought him on board he was planning to go the next day anyway and they brought him on board and he recommended straight away that they contacted the uh, british uh, cave rescue council and uh, that happened. But in the meantime, some Thai divers, some, ex- some Navy SEAL divers, some experts went in and tried to get through to find where these boys were. But they got uh, pushed back by the conditions that were so bad. And we watched and we wondered what was going on. It looked pretty hopeless at one point, didn't it? If you remember ro- following this story, but it looked so difficult. And I suppose initially there was this, this all, well, they should just go and get them, shouldn't they? It should be easy. You should go and get them. And then as the news began to break a little bit more, uh, we realized that it was much harder than we thought. A few facts about what had happened. Uh, the team were aged 11 to 16. One of the lads turned 17 whilst in the cave. So he had his birthday in the cave. Uh, the coach was 25. And, and many of us will have thought, why on earth did they go in? Why do that? But apparently they'd been many, many times before. And it was part of the team bonding experience and part of the initiation. that new members of the team kind of came on board and got involved. And they'd been many times before. So this wasn't something that they um, necessarily were unfamiliar with. There was a sign outside the cave entrance that said that you weren't to enter between July and October, November time because of the risk of flooding. But this was June. So they should have been okay, but the rains that year, last year, came early. And so the lads went in and couldn't get out, as we know. In the end, there was a rescue effort that involved over 10,000 people to get these boys out. Over 100 divers, loads of rescue workers, 100 government agencies, 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, 10 police helicopters, seven police ambulances, uh, 700 diving cylinders were involved, and over a billion litres of water were pumped out of the caves trying to rescue these lads. That's a huge amount of work, isn't it? And the conditions, you'll realise why I'm saying all this, because this this leads brilliantly into the scripture that we're looking at today. Uh, The conditions were horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. The, The Tunnels were were long, they were flooded in several places. Uh, The part on the screen where it says narrow flooded passage, um, actually at at its minimum was down to 38 centimeters by 72, 15 inches by 28 inches. So narrow that a diver couldn't get through with uh, an oxygen cylinder on, had to take it off uh, and push the cylinder through and then follow through themselves, just so dangerous. We know unfortunately that one of the Navy SEALs died having dropped off some air canisters and on his way back um, didn't make it, which is really sad. Visibility was zero. It was dangerous. It took six hours to go from uh, the, towards the entrance through to where the boys were eventually found. Six hours by professional divers. And what I didn't realize was that there were strong currents. You don't expect strong currents, but they were battling all the way there against strong currents. On the way back, it only took five hours um, because the currents were going to, with them then, rather than against them. It looks impossible. A- and all the time this is going on, uh, even when the boys had been found by two British uh, divers, uh, I think we've got a picture of them there, there we go, They found, and uh, maybe the first time they've seen bright light for quite a while, they, were, they went in on the 23rd of June, this is on the 2nd of July, they were found. And uh, the British divers found them when... They, they were laying some line for other divers to follow. These are part of the British cave rescue team. And they were laying some line. They'd come to the end of the line, surfaced in this, this cave area. And uh, the first thing they do is they listen and they smell, apparently. Um, because they know that when there are people there, if they've been trapped in an environment, it's likely to be a bit stinky. And uh, so the British divers surfaced and smelt and went, yep, there's people here. And found these lads sitting on a ledge. And you will have seen the pictures and and seen the video of them having this little conversation, saying, "How many of you are there?" Uh, And there was all of them were there still, all alive. And they reassured them that help was coming. They couldn't get them out there and then, but help was coming. While all this was going on, after the boys had been found, the government agencies are then battling to work out how do we do this? How do we get them out? What do we do? How do we rescue these these lads? There's sections where full climbing gear is needed. There's other sections where it's too narrow to get through, and it's it's kind of several miles to get there. And they investigated all sorts of things: drilling a hole from the top of the mountain uh, section down to the boys. They drilled a hundred test holes to try and find a suitable location to get through to these boys. They pumped out over a billion gallons of water, and still they were flooded. What on earth were they going to do? There were stories on the news about training these boys to dive. Could they maybe train them, but they discovered that wasn't going to be possible. And in the end, when they realized that the oxygen levels in the cave where the boys were was diminishing to a dangerous level, and when locals told them that from the 10th of July, the caves were always flooded completely, they took action. On the 8th, of July, they moved to rescue the boys. And divers were stationed along at key sections. There was a doctor with the boys and several divers. And and the boys were sedated, given sort of anti-panic medication, but actually it sedated them. And so they could be kind of packaged up almost, an oxygen tank with them, handles on their, on their wetsuits. Uh, one of the lads was only 11. He'd had to have a face mask, custom fitted, and they didn't know it was going to fit. Absolutely, really concerned that if this mask didn't fit, it, it wouldn't make it out because it'd just drown on the way out. But it did, and all these little obstacles needed to be overcome. And the divers would, would swim with a boy with them. Trying to get them through until they got to the narrow part, and then they'd have to push the boy ahead of them and follow after them uh, through these incredibly narrow passages. So dangerous, so challenging. And we heard the news that one by one the boys had got out. They'd been sedated for f- about 45 minutes, then they'd surface in the next bit, and they'd be carried along and then resedated and put into the next section. Just incredible what was going on under the ground as we were watching on the news day by day, and then finally the news came on the 10th of July that the last four, including the coach, were out. Three hours after the boys were out, with the last Navy personnel leaving the cave, the entire rescue system collapsed. The pumps failed and the caves began to flood three hours later. This is what one of the rescuers said, all of a sudden a water pipe burst and the main pump stopped working. We really had to run from the third chamber to the entrance because the water level was rising quickly, 50 centimetres every 10 minutes. Australian divers in chamber three described hearing screams further up the tunnel, then seeing a rush of headlamps coming towards them. It was like a movie scene. Everything was collapsing. What I didn't realise is they've had to leave all the rescue gear, that gear there for five months because they couldn't get back in to get it. Three hours after the boys were out, the whole thing just shut down. Incredible, incredible story of an amazing rescue. Why have I told you that? Because the Bible tells another story of an amazing rescue. And it's in Colossians, this series called Limitless that we're looking at. And it says this, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I think that image, that story of the the rescue of that football team is an incredibly powerful one, but it links so well with the story of what Jesus has done for us, what God has done for us once we were alienated from him. We've been rescued and brought near, through no great effort of our own. Brought from darkness to light, from being stuck to being saved. This this whole passage comes after an amazing passage that Sanya was uh, reading to us last week and preaching from, which talks about how amazing Jesus is. He's before all things. In Him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. Goes on to say, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Uh, I just want to say a few things, simple things from this story. Uh, like Paul does from this this passage. Once you were. Paul starts off by, by saying, Look, look where you were, folks. Look at the situation you were in. And and I know we tell these stories sometimes, but I'm not sure we tell them enough. Look at where you were. And he says to the Colossians, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Uh, Who was he writing to? He's writing to the church in Colossians. They would have been Gentile people who were non, so non-Jews non and they'd become Christians. They'd come to Christ. They'd, they'd discovered the salvation that Jesus could offer and they'd come to start following him. And Paul's writing saying, look where you were and look where you now are. He's going to get onto that in a minute. But as Gentiles, they would have been worshipping idols. They would have been living in a way that was far from what God had set out as his best. They would have been outside of God's people. When the Jewish people would have gone off to worship, the Gentiles would have been outside. At best, they could enter the the, the court of the Gentiles when it came to the Jewish temple. They weren't able to fully participate in the Jewish rites. Why? Because they weren't part of God's people. They weren't living as part of God's people. They weren't living right before God. They were enemies of God's ways, and they weren't living on God's purpose. And Paul actually writes this, the Bible actually says that it's not only external stuff like living a righteous life, it's internal too. And he writes here, you are alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. The New Living Translation says this, it says, you once you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Well, what about us? We might say, well, I wasn't really an enemy of God. I didn't really set out to, to do God down, but the truth is this, that even if we're not setting out to go a different way from God, if we're living by ourselves, living under our own lordship, under our own rule, we're, we're living distant from God. We're not living His way, living in full relationship with Him. And the truth is that all of us were stuck in that cave somehow. Somehow. Uh, not with those boys actually in the Thai cave, but we were in our own lives stuck and unable to get out. We'd end up ended up in a situation that we couldn't get ourselves out of. And once we were there, stuck, rescue seemed impossible. And the truth of this scripture and the whole of this passage shows us that there's no place you can be that's too far from God's reach. There's nowhere. And today, if you're sitting listening and thinking, oh, I've gone too far, I've blown it. There's some things that God cannot forgive because I've just been too far away from him. That's not true. Just as the rescue of those boys seemed impossible and yet it was made possible, so it is with us that once we were far from God and now we're made close because of Jesus. If you're worried about the sin from your past, Jesus' blood deals with it. Alternatively, you may be thinking, well, Stuart, none of that really applies to me because I was brought up in a Christian family and kind of loved God from an early age and just aware of him. Paul's not writing here to individuals so much as writing to the whole people. He's not writing to Fred the Colossian or George the Colossian. He's writing to the Colossians as a group of people and saying, you collectively, this is where you were. And this is where you now are. And we often read the New Testament as, as if it's written to me. And God can speak to me powerfully through it. But actually, it's written to groups of people. And Paul's writing to the whole group. And, uh, and you and I are part of this group of people. Uh, and we once were far from God. And he's brought us close because of his love. So it's not just a, an individual story that we read. But he doesn't just leave it there. He goes on to talk about where we are now. He goes on to say, now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Colossians starts, verse 2, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Really? God's holy people? reconciled, without blemish and free from... Is that possible? Presented holy in God's sight? When, when we look at our own lives, when we look at our past, and we look at even our present, we think, how, how can I be presented holy in God's sight? He's unfailing. He uh, dwells in unapproachable light. And, and how can I come close to God? And yet this is the truth of Scripture, that because of Christ's death... We are made holy. We're reconciled. The relationship, that means that the relationship that wasn't possible with God now is. That's what the word reconciled means. We're put together again. That's incredible. I think there's a deep cry in the the world to be reconciled with God. Some reject that, but many are longing to find him, longing to find hope, longing to find an answer. And I just want us to think for a moment about what this might have felt like to that original audience. You're in Colossian. You're in Colossae. You're part of this group. You've not been part of the Jewish people. You're not familiar with the temple sacrifices. You've watched Jewish people going to synagogue, going to temple. You've not been able to participate, but you've you've, you've watched on. You've realized that you've been outside of God's people, and now you're being told you're without blemish. In the Old Testament, we read about the sacrifices that are offered, and you can only bring a sacrifice if it's without blemish, if it's pure. you You can't bring the runt of the litter, you can't bring the the, the, the goats that you wouldn't want to do anything else with, you know you just oh it's not mu- worth much, i'll I'll take this sheep. It's a bit sad. You've got to take the best. and, and that's that sense of without blemish that God's saying here that we're made without blemish and free free from accusation. Now, some of us are beset at times with a sense of accusation where you find yourself in a situation and all you hear is accusing voices. And, and you, you're reminded of your past, you're reminded of your present, you're reminded of failure. And this word tells us that we are free from accusation, free from blemish. If we're continuing in sin, obviously the Holy Spirit is going to reveal that to us and that's very different from that ongoing accusation. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's to draw us back to God again and we come and we repent. We turn around from our sin, we confess our sin and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Once we've done that, if we find accusations continuing, it's not coming from God. So if you find yourself today tortured in your conscience, you can be free because Christ has set us free from all accusation and all blemish. How is that made possible? It's made possible through Jesus, pure and simple. Paul just writes this, he writes, he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. I suppose my question at this stage is, will you be reconciled to God if you haven't yet? God's done his part. But it does wait on a human response. I'm grateful that all those boys got out of the cave. But in terms of salvation and and the story we're telling today, in the world today, it's a little bit like how the, the divers could have arrived with those boys and said, we're here to get you out. Would you come? And half of them have said, well, we're not really sure, actually. We're quite like you here, not sure if I trust you, not sure if you're reliable. We're we're kind of making a good go of it on our own. Thanks very much. We've survived this far. We'll be fine. Thank you very much. And sadly, some people turn away from God's offer of salvation. David Pawson, Bible teacher, describes it as if a life ring is thrown out to somebody to, to rescue them. And you're drowning. You're without hope and the life ring comes, but you've still got to take hold of it. You've got to receive that offer that's presented. And my encouragement today, if you've not yet said yes to Jesus, would be to say, take hold of the offer that Christ is giving. My encouragement to all of us is to think about how we're living. Are we living as those reconciled to God? without blemish and free from accusation? Or am I living hiding away from God? Is my relationship with him one where, as, we've been, as Ross has been leading us in worship, we're just aware that we want more of him? And for most of us, there are times when we do, and there are times when we don't, and the accusation can come in the times when we don't, that we're, we're lost, we're hopeless, we're a hopeless case, we're stuck again. But that's not true. Christ is continuing to rescue us. He's continuing to help us. You know, there are two senses in Scripture when it talks about us being holy or blameless or talks about us being saved. The Bible talks about us being saved and being being saved. So there's a present reality where before God we've been set free, but yet we continue to work that out and walk that out in God. I guess it's a bit like the moment the divers got to those boys. They were rescued. They'd been found but there was a process of getting them out of the caves and out of the tunnels and out to the entrance where they were properly released. One day we will stand before Jesus without sin. One day we will stand without blemish. One day we will stand holy in his sight because of what Jesus has done. I'm looking forward to that day. In the meantime, we fail, we fall, we trip ourselves up, we choose to go away from God, and yet still... Christ's declaration over us because we're in Christ is that we're holy, therefore we should live as those who are holy. And there's this present but also future aspect. So how do we live? Are we living as those who are still in the cave or are we living as those who are reconciled? Thirdly, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This letter that we're reading through that shows the scope of God's power and love and grace, it shows how amazing life with Jesus can be, Paul writes and says, all of this is possible if you continue in your faith. It's being written to a group of people who, who are surrounded by false teachers, people with all sorts of different ideas, and, and like most of us, just a tendency to... Get tired at times, circumstances come and we're thrown off course. As I said a moment ago, we trip ourselves up sometimes. There's a tendency to turn away. And Paul's writing saying, Don't give up, keep on going. All you'll be rescued if you continue in your faith, established and firm and don't move from the hope. So our faith is on the one hand already established and firm, but on the other, we mustn't lose it. We mustn't kind of let go of it. We must hold on to it and can keep moving in it. The invitation to follow Jesus is a, an invitation to a new life, not to a one-off event. The invitation to walk with Jesus is an invitation to walk with him day by day by day. And in this huge hymn that Paul's writing, we see Jesus as supreme. He's amazing. He's all in all. All things have been created for him and by him. He's just amazing. And that's why Paul writes this after that hymn, because he's saying here, Christ is big enough to keep you. He's big enough to hold on to. In those times when it feels like you're losing your grip, And in those times when it feels like it's not possible, that you've maybe stopped trusting God, He is still able to hold on to you. He's not going to let go. But at the same time, we've got to continue and just keep holding on and walking with Him. Maybe today, it feels like you've lost your bearings. Maybe today it feels like doubt has crept in and you've been battling with doubt. Battling with questions. Where's God? Where am I? What's going on? Is this faith even real? And you've been struggling to hold on. My encouragement is that God has got hold of you. His salvation's big enough and powerful enough. There's no way those divers coming out of the cave were going to let go of the boys halfway through. Go, I've had enough of this. I'm off. Absolutely no way. And if they'd kicked and they'd Fought, well, that was the whole point of having the drugs so that they didn't. But if they had, the, the divers would have found a way of getting them out. That's just men helping boys get out of a cave. God is carrying us. He's walking with us. In our weakness, he is strong. Do you know, following Jesus is never about our strength. We don't need to be strong. We don't need to be powerful in ourselves. In our weakness, he is strong. In our weakness, he's glorified as we serve him day by day. We mustn't pretend it's about our strength. It's always about Him. Finally, I thought I had another slide, but I don't. Finally, the verse before all this passage we read talks about how God has reconciled to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. My point is that Our salvation is bigger than us. It's bigger than us. It's not just about me. It's not just about us. But the Bible tells us that God is reconciling all things to himself. In heaven, on on earth. It goes on to say in in Colossians 2.15 that he's disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Our God is victorious. He's victorious in the heavens. He'll be victorious on the earth. He's renewing his creation. And our salvation invites us to be part of that. So following Jesus, getting out of that cave and being rescued isn't just about being rescued for me. It's not just that I can come out and go, oh, I'm, I'm alive, which is wonderful. God would do it for, for us just to rescue us. But actually it's part of something that's so much bigger. He's reconciling the whole of this broken creation to himself. He's already triumphed over the powers and the authorities. He's won the victory. The peace isn't yet in place, but the victory is won. And now he's inviting us, as he always has done with those he's called, to be part of his plan to reconcile the whole of creation. Just as he called the Jewish nation years, many years gone by, to be a light to the whole of the world, to represent him, to show people how to live and to invite others into God's presence and into God's kingdom. So through us today, through Christians around the world, through all those who own the name of Jesus, the challenge is this and the encouragement is this, that we've been rescued and redeemed, not just for us. We have been rescued and redeemed not just to tell the story of what God has done in us, but to make a difference in the whole of the world creation itself should be transformed because we are walking with Christ. You know, the purpose of rescuing those kids from that cave wasn't so they could sit outside the entrance by a shrine telling people what happened to them. It wasn't so they could have a memorial. It wasn't so that they could just sit and put up a poster by the entrance and say, look, look, this is, this is our story, this is what happened. They were rescued so they could live live a life and grow up and have hope in a human sense. But God's rescued us so that we can live in him, that we might have life to the full, that we might live this limitless salvation that he's called us to. No longer does sin hold you in its grip. No longer does shame hold us in its grip. No longer are we distant from God, but we've been reconciled to him. And we can live as those who continue in our faith, confident because he's rescued us and humble because we couldn't have done it ourselves. So as the world watched that story, I want us to reflect today on the one who saved us. Just as the world was cheering those young men on as they got out of the cave and cheering the divers on, so heaven is cheering us on as we live for Jesus today. Like them, we've been rescued from dark to light. We were trapped. We've been released. Like them, it takes time for that release to take place. Like them, their lives were a small part of something much bigger. Today, let's look again at our salvation. If you're troubled by your past, if you're wondering where God is in your present, if you're thinking maybe he's let go of me, he hasn't. His salvation is big enough to cope. His offer to us isn't just of a one-off rescue, but it's a continuing life with Christ. Why? Because Christ is risen. He's victorious. He's almighty. And we can walk with him, humbly yet confidently, as we follow him. Can we pray together? Lord, as we recognize our own need of you and our dependence on you, it's very easy for us to lose sight of you at points. Maybe like those lads come out of the cave, the water around us seems a bit murky, we wonder where we are, we've lost our bearings. We say, God, where are you? Have you still got hold of me? Have you still got me? I can't feel you. And Lord, the truth is this, that like those lads getting out of that cave, we were, ca- we're carried all along. We're carried along every step of the way. And I want to pray for every single person in this place today who may feel as though you're letting go, who may feel as though they've lost the sense of you. Lord, that they would, each one of us would be confident today that you've, you've still got us. As we read these words again, we would read about the power of salvation and know that you've not let us go that you're our Lord and our Savior and our King and you are still reconciling us to to you and restoring us and you're still cleansing us. Lord, even though all those things have been declared over us, you're still outworking them in our lives. And we thank you that you've not let us go. But when it feels like you have, I pray you'd give us strength to continue trusting you day by day. Lord, for those who may not even know you yet, I pray, Lord, that today would be a day of salvation. But if there's anyone here in this, in the cave still, that even as I'm praying now, they would say, Lord, help me out of this cave. Only Jesus can. Forgive me, rescue me. And Lord, I thank you that as we pray a simple prayer like that, as we recognizing actually the deeper reality that we're turning from living by ourselves to trusting you, you reconcile us to yourself, you rescue us, you set us free. Lord, I pray you do that today in all of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.